Thank you. I'm Mr. Fancy today, apparently. I like the... It's, uh, it, it, we're celebrating a lot. Today is the Oscars. I am wearing my Nicole Kidman at um, AMC We Make Movies Better t-shirt. <laughs> we're celebrating a lot of insignificant things this week, like, or less significant things. Like, it's St. Patrick's Day this coming Thursday. No, Friday. Uh, what's Tuesday, everyone? 3.14 pie day. Yes, I was a mathlete, so that's exciting, but it also means you get to eat pie. So, And since we're carving up for the marathon, it's good. We need the pie, right? Yeah, okay. All right. Um, yes, so uh, seriously though, speaking of celebrating, for people who've been training for the marathon for so long, it is like a 26-mile party through Los Angeles. And if you come out and cheer for us, that helps a lot because we need that encouragement. We need, we love as runners to have people celebrating with us, pushing us on with that encouragement toward the finish line. Like they said, this cheer station where the Meekins are usually at is about four miles from the end. And that last four miles is really hard, but when you see friends and smiling faces and high fives and everything, it just helps so, so much. Tech, yeah. Yeah, signs. Now, technically, so Ingrid is running the half marathon with a lot of charity runners, which is awesome. So she's going to do, a, she won't come to Brentwood, but she'll do a straight shot from Dodger Stadium to Century City, where the finish line is, and it's going to be fun. So wherever you are, wherever you can get to the marathon route, come out and do it. And here's the, the terrible and awesome secret. Nothing will quite inspire you to run a marathon like watching other people do it. At least that worked on me. I don't, I'm seeing a lot of shaking heads. Okay, well, don't tell you I didn't warn you when I recruit the team next year and you have that inkling inside that says I want to do it. All right, so uh, seriously though, we are finishing our Disciple Series today and thank you for being with us. I messed up my sleep because of the time change, was like having anxiety dreams. If this is sloppy... Forgive me, but I know I think we'll be okay. I really am just kind of like underslept and overcaffeinated. So here we go. Um, I want to ask, can you think of a time in your life when you learned something or realized something that you held to be true was actually not true? Okay, some murmurs. Yeah, so maybe it was like a simple lesson you learned as a kid. Like, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Is that true? No, I think it's like our health, eating healthy is much more complicated than that. It's a good sentiment, like it's good, like we need to eat fruits and vegetables, we need to have healthy stuff in our bodies that helps us grow. Maybe that lesson wasn't just for kids, like maybe it was for people in the depression who had very little and probably no doctors around living in the Great Plains, I don't know, like the the Dust Belt or whatever. Um, But, you know, okay, that's a simple lesson, it's good, but you grow up and you realize... No, that's, you don't just eat an apple to keep the doctor away in your life. Okay, so imagine being alive during the Renaissance and learning about Galileo's proof that the earth circles the sun and not vice versa. This is like, that was like a mind-blowing understanding to a lot of people at the time. And it caused so much upheaval and landed Galileo in jail. And uh, or he's excommunicated from the church or something. I don't remember the specifics, but it was a big uproar and it was a big kerfuffle. And because that truth like rubbed against so many other beliefs that many people in power had at the time. So their rigid, kind of simplistic view of the cosmos couldn't handle the truth. So I'm going to talk about something 
maybe a little less society shaking than that, but just a phrase I remember from my younger years as a believer, like my, when I was kind of a new Christian, trying to follow Jesus, understand what that meant. And I remember a lot of people kind of like gently saying, remember, we're human beings, not human doings. And I was like, yeah, that's good. We are human beings, not human doings. And the sentiment is good. Like our value, our status as people who are loved by our creator God, it's not, you know, it's not, a, it's not in question. It's inherent. It's like something we never have to earn. There's no bettering ourselves relative to other people. There's no bettering ourselves in God's eyes through like any accomplishment, anything we can do to like just more and more work. We can't change it. We are love. We are human beings. But the more I've studied scripture, the more I've come to realize that I don't think it's quite so simple. We are human beings, but especially as followers of Jesus, disciples, we're called to action. Like we're called to live our lives in certain ways and do things, participating in this creation that we share, that we were, you know, put into by God. And so that's what this whole series has been about. This disciple series is about following Jesus and living as he lived um, in all the different ways. So I think our lives will be most full when we follow in Jesus' footsteps and do the things he did. And we can be part of like God's mission through Jesus to restore the world, to restore people to relationship with him. We can't earn God's love that way. It's not about earning it. That would be religion, as we often see here. Like, religion says you do the right things and you earn God's love. But the gospel is you know and you have received God's love, and therefore you're inspired to do the things he would call you to do. So knowing that we have been freely given his love and offered his rescue from the decay and destruction of sin, we can join in his good work and become kind of the most realized, full versions of ourselves, whoever God made us to be, reflecting him and his gospel in our lives. So, what was Jesus doing? It's what this whole series has been about, but believe it or not, we can summarize it in one sentence. Jesus did, as he said, whatever the Father does. That was his lesson to his disciples and to people in his time. And of course, it's, you know, we have the whole gospel stories that expound upon that in much more detail, but that's what he said. What his What he was doing, his ministry, was doing what he saw the Father doing, and he joined in that, partnered with the Father God in his mission in the world, and that's what we as disciples are supposed to do as well. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at a little bit of scripture and talk about this for a few minutes, and then we're going to wrap up and have a wonderful Oscar Sunday. So join me. Um, God, we can do nothing without you, nothing significant, nothing... Uh, that's, um, you know, we just need you, Lord. Would you lead us today? Would you guide me as I speak? Settle my caffeinated nerves and um, show us what you want to do today in our time of ministry as we respond to you in worship later. We invite you in your Holy Spirit to have your way. Lead us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we jump into the scripture, which is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, I'm going to set the scene up, what happens right before this. So Jesus, as he often did, went around healing people and doing awesome things like that. So he heals this guy who had been an invalid for 38 years, and the guy would just kind of sit there begging near this pool in uh, Jerusalem, and he told the man he healed to get up and take his mat and go about his way, go about living a fuller life now that he was healed. So the authorities questioned the man 
because this happened on the Sabbath, which was like a no-no. First of all, they questioned him because he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath, which apparently was a bad thing. Then the man explained that Jesus was the one who told him to do it and that he healed him on the Sabbath. So then that got Jesus in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, which happened a lot at the time because that was a big no-no. Uh, basically doing anything on the Sabbath uh, was, you know, it's a, it's a day for rest. It's a day for not doing the work things, not doing the things you're, that you do to kind of whatever fill your life. Um, so we jump in, and Jesus begins explaining in John 5, beginning in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So in this passage, Jesus clearly explains that he does what he sees the Father doing. He's joining God's work. He's partnering with him. Now, it's kind of understandable that this was shocking to the Jewish leaders, because they believe that God the Father gave them the Sabbath. God the Father gave them that commandment, that rule to live by. So how could that God also cause this healing to happen, cause this man to get up and walk away with his mat? Why would God do something that would break his own rule? And of course, Jesus claiming to be the Son of God was way over the line, even more offensive to them. That God's Son was walking around with them was unprecedented, but here... Like, why wouldn't the fruit of this situation, the result of what happened, open them up to see? Like, this is amazing. This man who had been sitting there for 38 years, an invalid, now walking, wouldn't that maybe, like, shake them out of, like, their paradigm a little bit? But they were so stuck on this rule of the Sabbath, this commandment that God had given. The particularities of the Sabbath observance, rest instead of working, can really become a swamp that you can get mired in if you dig into it. And that's true kind of to this day. Like, I'm friends with a lot of people in Orthodox Jewish communities, and I remember learning, and I've told this story before if you've heard it, forgive me, but they had like an Ask the Rabbi event, and somebody asked, okay, so we're not supposed to do all these things on the Sabbath or Shabbat. What about, like, you're not supposed to turn electricity on and off, lights, any appliances, whatever. Can we set the thermostat so that after Shabbat starts, the heat comes on. Is that breaking the Sabbath? So if you really want to think of this as a rule, and you have to like, figure out how that affects every little thing in your life that might have to do with electricity, you can just really get lost in the weeds. But rules are kind of like comforting at a time, because you can follow them. You might have to figure out where they are and where the boundaries are, but a rule is like something that you can figure out and follow. 
But what if Sabbath was not just about a rule, and maybe not even just about rest, which is a good thing? What if it's bigger? Like, what, like think about when God first gave people the Sabbath. This was in the Old Testament. He had rescued his people out of Egypt. They were wandering through the desert, and he gave them this rule that they would trust in him and his provision. It wasn't just about rest. It was about trusting the provision of God. One day a week, they could rest and not need to worry about the food they were going to receive. God would give them enough food for that day. It felt risky. Okay, we're like, that's scary. We're not trying to stay alive in this desert, but there was enough. The day before, God gave them two days of food. He would show them that he was trustworthy to provide what they needed by giving, giving them double food the day before. Very simple lesson, very simple kind of rhythm of life, but it was an invitation into a trusting relationship with him, with a God who works on behalf of his people. But the religious leaders over the decades and over the centuries diminished it to a rigid system which was just easy to follow. It's a rule. You're either adhering to the rule or you're breaking it. And it limited the idea of rest, this rule, to kind of be something that, you know, it set rule enforcers against rule breakers. But Jesus opened up the idea of Sabbath. Isn't it really rest if you're somebody who was an invalid for 38 years to then have freedom of movement in your body? Isn't it really healing and wonderful to be able to live life like a normal human being? Isn't it healing from the shame of being constantly in need? Isn't that rest from that shame? Isn't it rest and healing from being seen as useless to society? What if that's part of Sabbath rest, like a bigger idea of rest than simply don't flick your electricity on and off or whatever the equivalent was in that day? God the Father provided for this man through Jesus. Then his story, as he went about his way, as he picked up his mat and went and told people what happened to him, that could inspire faith and trust in others as well. But the leaders couldn't see past their limited view of the Sabbath, and instead they found an enemy in the healing and freeing and restoring work of God. Jesus didn't just speak, he lived out in action a greater truth of God. He put it on display for so many to see, and in doing so, he ruffled feathers, to say the least. But I think this story has some really good and important lessons for us as we aim to be disciples, as we aim to be followers of Jesus and following in what he did. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in this way? How are we as disciples to know the work of God the Father? There's kind of a simple answer to that question, but then I'll look at a few things that we can garner from this scripture. And then we'll pray, like I said, and worship God a little bit more and be on our way. The answer to how, like I said, can be very simple if we look at the words of Jesus himself. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to know what God's up to? Well, later in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks a whole lot about his plan for that. He's going to leave, and he did, and instead send the Holy Spirit to guide us that we would know what the Father is up to. He promised his disciples the Holy Spirit would be sent and as we've discussed, I think only a few Sundays ago, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. People started preaching, people started hearing the good news, people came to know God, and the faith grew. Just like God's people in the desert, we're invited to trust his provision. 
that he'll actually do what he said he's going to do. That he, in fact, does send the Holy Spirit to those who, who believe. And that, if you don't know that or if you've learned that at some point in your life, you remember that can be kind of like mind-blowing, like preconception shattering, that there's a God of the whole universe who cares to communicate with me intimately and personally and actively. It's a whole life-changing way of being. If we're open to it, if we let it be. We're invited into an, an entirely different way of being, and that's something we should take seriously. And we need to treat that like the relationship that it is, not just a new rule or something to know, but something to live out, not just a rule to follow. And there are three things I think we can see in this scripture that kind of maybe help us process that about the invitation we have to following God's leading in our life. First, Jesus is maybe clearly the hero in the little story that we read, and the Jewish leaders were not. They seemed like the bad guys because they wanted to kill him. But let's be humble and put ourselves in their shoes. The Jewish leaders were so sure of what they knew, but let's be humble and realize that we might, or almost certainly, have a limited view of God ourselves. A limited view of what he's up to, a limited view of what he wants from us. We know and we can trust that he cares for us, he loves us, and he cares for us to know what he's up to, and that part of our lives as disciples is growing to know that, and growing and increasing in trust that he is part of our lives, that he is active, that he is sending his Holy Spirit, and he's moving through us and, and can do so much more than maybe we even initially believed. I think that's true, that, that perspective of like, I've got more to learn, I've got more to understand. It's true of a brand new Christian, and I think it should be true of somebody who's been like a pastor and theologian for 70 years. We all have more to learn through scripture, through prayer, through community, I think the most human trap of all is to limit God to a list of rules, just as Sabbath was a rule for the leaders at the time who persecuted Jesus. We don't want to fall into a habit of being like, okay, I know it, I got this, check the box, that's an easy way to live. What's it, what if it's a different way all the time, a different way of doing things? What if God is up to something new in our lives every year or month or week? Rules make us comfortable, but... Maybe the truth is that our lives are going to be a little uncomfortable because they aren't rule-based in a life partnering with God. It's countercultural. It's counterintuitive to our human thinking. And maybe that's the second point of invitation that we need to be aware of, is that it's going to go against the grain. The work of God is the way of heaven breaking into this broken earth. If we partner with God, maybe by praying for healing for somebody, maybe speaking a word of knowledge to someone, or maybe kind of upending relationships with a difficult gesture of forgiveness, all these things will upset the status quo. Even when they bring clear goodness, restoration, and healing to somebody or to a relationship, they may not be received well by everyone we'll have opposition, we'll face pushback because God changes things and people like the status quo. 
According to the world's ways, if we do what God's leading us to do, we may look like fools. But as long as the people we're loving and blessing are being dignified and honored, it doesn't matter if we look like fools. Because if we're doing what God's up to, you know, he'll be faithful to provide the fruit in that. If we're faithful to just listen and follow his lead. Sure, sometimes the prayer doesn't work. Maybe the person didn't get healed. But isn't it worth trying? Isn't it worth asking God anyway? What if the other person doesn't care that I've forgiven them? Or they think it means it's okay that what they did was, you know, what they did wrong was just fine, you know? There are risks in this. And of course, if I can return to overly simplified pithy statements that go around in church world, you've heard this one before, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. There you go. I think that's part of living life following Jesus and his Father, like Father God. Like We need to risk and be okay with failure as we learn to grow and figure out how to do this. That's part of our growth. It's part of growing to know him. If we fear that, we may never be open to what he's up to in our lives. And finally, if we do take those risks, if we try it, if we fail a little bit, but keep having, keep having hope and faith that he'll partner with us and we'll see his kingdom come, if we pursue God in that kind of relationship, I believe we'll move toward the more that he has for us. Later in John, Jesus kind of makes this pretty clear, what this is all about. In John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the work of the Father, it's, it's giving, it's restoration, it's life. The fullness and the abundance of life that he has for us, it's not just about what we receive. It's also about how we get to join him in giving it away. It can be hard to imagine in times of doubt, as we all struggle in faith and have seasons of up and down. But think just with a little bit of hope of your life, if you regularly saw and participated in the work of God in those around you, in your friends, your family, maybe your coworkers, your neighbors. What if you saw these people experiencing healing, hope, heaven, and how exciting it would be to be a part of that. Knowing that it's God doing the work, but it maybe was, just took you opening your mouth. Just you saying, can I pray for you? Something like that. I think that's the fullness of life that we're invited into as disciples. And something that nobody gets perfect, but we can all be growing toward and growing in as we walk through this life with Jesus. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and before we do one more song, we're going to pause and invite God and see what he wants to do in this time. And uh, you may be given a word from the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's for somebody here. Maybe it's just for yourself. Um, I'll invite you know, any of our leaders, if there's something you feel like God wants us to pray for, by all means, just come up and take the mic, and why don't we all stand up now, and uh, yeah, we're going to invite God to come and see how he wants to minister to us today, and then as we call 
anybody to receive a particular word or prayer for anything. I also want to say that the front is always open, not just for those words, but for anything you might need prayer for. So we've got Howard, Jess, Kate, Nikki, leaders, anyone who wants to pray, we all get to be a part of this. So um, yeah, let's pray. So God, we wait on you now. Would you show us how you're working in this community today, how you're at work in the people in this room, that we may partner with you in that. So let's just wait silently for a minute and see how he leads. <laughs> 